Welcome to a misdirected mark off the cuff. We're going to talk about running games in licensed worlds, which is a thing that I haven't talked about in a really long time or even thought about in a really long time. So, Jerry, what are your thoughts about running games in licensed worlds? I've done it a lot and I enjoy doing it with certain games. One of the things that I think about when I'm running them is in the games I've played and the games I've run, trying to balance the fact that all the players at the table may have some experience with the licensed world you're running. Or they may not. And also, what happens when you let the players play established characters? Let's talk about both of those points right now. Yes. So, so what do we do about people who are very experienced with the licensed world that we're playing in? Because, man, that is a, that is a pain sometimes. I've run Star Trek and I've run Star Wars and mm -hmm. I've run Leverage. Yeah. So Leverage has an established setting, too. Mm -hmm. um, not very long campaigns of any of those. I think the longest games I've ever run were seven sessions in any established setting like that. Yep. Yeah. So I, I don't have a ton of experience with this, but I just took a Star Trek thing and, and put it in a part of the Star Trek mythos that wouldn't be touching anything else. And that's part of what you can do. Either placing it in a part of the world where nothing is, is very established or a part of the world that's so vast. Um, it's why the first Fantasy Flight Star Wars game was Edge of the Empire, out on the very, very outer rim where... GMs could have entire campaigns jumping across seven or eight planets and never touch on anything that's actually canon, and that made it easy to work with. Also, no Jedi. No Jedi. Yeah. Which, you know, you can, which later books did, but you can do that sort of thing. That's the first thing. Or if you're running, like, Middle-earth role-playing. I played a ton of Merp back in the 80s, and all of our games were always set in the era between The Hobbit and The Lord of the Ring and The Fellowship of the Ring. Generally in that, in that era when Smog is gone, but... Sauron's people are on the rise, and so there's a lot of stuff that could be happening in the backdrop, and you're basically stumbling across plots of the Dark Lord and so on, until your GM decides to have you encounter Bilbo and you get him drunk and steal his shirt, his sword, and his ring. And then yeah, that would be a thing. Uh, then things went badly. Which brings me to my other point, which is if you're going to have established characters in a game, and you're a GM, you have to be ready for the players to either not want to do anything with them, or encounter them and treat them like any other NPC that would be in the game. There's another way that you can handle that, too. At the beginning of the game, before you start playing the game, like your sessions are, you're like, look, this is the kind of game that we're playing with these established characters. Are you cool with following along with them and being like a substitute group of the Fellowship of the Ring? That would actually have been preferable to what our GM did. Sure, right? Like, but these are the things that we can do now instead of having like workarounds for bad game mastering or, or players who don't understand what's going on or people who are just playing in a... I feel like players do that kind of stuff because they're like, we don't want to be bound by the thing. We're playing a role playing and we do what we want. I'm like, sure, you could do whatever you want. Like, we'll play that version of the game. Yeah, and, and you already hit on it. Session zero is going to be the key because you need to exactly. establish what your boundaries are with everyone at the table before you get started so that you know where you want to go. Because if you say we're going to play Middle Earth role playing and we're going to play during the time when these characters were in, you have to make that determination. Are we going to ignore them? Are we doing our own thing? Is this a completely alternate reality where we are the fellowship? Set those rules and then live by them and do your thing. That's why I feel like alternate realities are always your best friend when you do this sort of thing. I mean, it's essentially an alternate reality as yeah. soon as you start playing in it like that. Uh, I've played in a Star Wars game where the GM had us in Moss Lassie Cantina where uh, Luke. Han and Obi-Wan all get gunned down in the cantina fight, and now we have to pick up the story and run from there and figure out how we're going to get to the Death Star and rescue the princess and yada yada. I've GM'd a Robotech campaign where Rick Hunter and his friends all get wiped out in a series of really bad dice rolls. That was not my intention, but the players just picked it up and had to figure out how to tell the story from there. 
and it was fun. I have notes for your Obi-Wan. You, your Obi-Wan was very depowered. <laughs> he got gunned down in a gunfight in a cantina. <clears throat> well, yeah. Well, this is, you also have to remember, this was also pre-prequels. Sure. I mean, so it's fine. The like, idea that somebody could shoot Obi-Wan in the back of the head was not out of the question. I wasn't the GM that time. I was one of the players and we had a ball with it. Um, uh, but, uh, it's fine. I'm just yeah. teasing you. Yeah. No. I'm, yeah. I'm, being, I'm being the bad Star Wars fan. Yeah. <laughs> Present Obi-Wan, yeah, that'd be a problem. Um, but I've also been in games where, like Marvel superheroes, something as a GM I will never run is a Marvel superheroes game where the players play established characters. Why not? Because I have a hell of a time with it and it drives everybody nuts because everybody has a different idea of what Spider-Man is going to be like. They're going to have a different idea of what Colossus is going to be like and where you are in your Marvel history makes a difference. And Here, that, let me, that upsets uh, everybody. Let me, uh, well, you take a drink. Well, well, I, uh, well, I, I feel this it. question. So I think it's okay to have different takes on these superheroes because they're always written by different people. It's really about more of the core ideology of who these characters are, right? So like, if you can establish like, I'm going to play Spider-Man. So Bob, core, core ideology of Spider-Man. Yeah, with great power comes great responsibility. Yes. Yes. And and your family and friends are super important yep. along with doing the right thing. And that is always like being the superhero, which is always the, the constant inner conflict for that character. Yeah. So those things have to be present. But other than that, you can tell any story that you want. Furthermore, we've had Spider-Man being possessed or taken over bodily by Dr. Octopus for like two years. We have. Yes. And that is, a, that is still a Spider-Man comic, right? It is. It, but that's one of those cases where... If that hadn't existed, and I sat down at a table with a player who said, I'm going to play Spider-Man, and you're like, okay, cool, Spider-Man, awesome. And we get into the first combat, and he's like, all right, I killed this guy. That, yeah, see, that's weird, right? That's uh, weird. Uh, no, you don't. Yeah, that's Peter not how Parker this works. would never kill. Now, if you were playing Superior Spider-Man. Or Kane. Or Kane, mm -hmm. you know, one of the clones, then, okay, you've got some leeway. But that's where... If you're playing the established characters, if you start going way outside the the realm of what the, the core of the character is, of course, then, you know, like, why are you doing this? Yeah. So, yes, if you were just going to sit down at a pickup game with people playing a, role, a superhero role-playing game, there could potentially be some problems. What's like, going to do the same thing? Like, you're going to do the session zero thing and talk yeah. to everybody yeah. and get everybody on well, board with the well, kind of well, game that also, you want to play. But you'd also <laughs> have something like, for, take, for example, Wolverine. Somebody who's experienced with Wolverine is early 80s Wolverine. Versus somebody who's experienced with Wolverine is late 90s Wolverine versus somebody who's read or been watched the movies. They're all going to be playing Wolverine accurately, but some of those Wolverines aren't going to play well with others. So this is why superhero games are complicated, right? They are. You, you need to talk. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any difference between that and making up your own characters and playing anyway, because what are we really talking about? We're, we're talking about you as a game master or anybody who's a game master yes. has a different expectation and has a thing in their head that they think it should be and they're not having that expectation fulfilled. So therefore, they are disappointed. But really, that's on the game master in my opinion. It is. It is. That's the danger you have with established characters. And the same thing happens when you've got a game system that doesn't accurately represent the power set. Like if you've got a game... What game does? That's exactly it. <laughs> Well, no, well, and, and that's honestly, and, and that is the problem when you run us when you have an established character in the game is the players like, oh, I saw them do this in a TV show or movie or whatever. And the game doesn't allow you to do that. That becomes a problem. I'm not trying to harp on. I love superhero games, but superhero are probably the worst because they're, you know, you've got 55 years of comic book yeah. issues where all sorts of stuff happens <clears throat> and the game system might not accurately resent, re represent that. Yeah. Where if they're just playing generic superhero number five who has a set of powers that are defined by the rules the player has a much better chance of knowing what they can and can't do yeah because they're bound by the rules instead of bound by the established lore like yeah. that's a good point right yeah. like yes. I, I agree with that point
I'm not saying it's bad to, to run established games or to have your players play them. As a GM, I find it difficult, partially because of the thing that we all come to it with different ideas on what characters uh, are going to be able to do and what their personalities are and, and, and what the, the plot and timeline and so on. And that's just me as a GM. I'm not saying I wouldn't play any game with established characters, though I'm very careful now. If I go to a con and somebody's running a Firefly game, if they're actually running the characters from Firefly, I'm probably not going to play in the game. Sure, because it's at a con, right? Yeah. I would play a game with you guys, with the established Firefly characters, assuming we all wanted to play a yeah, game like that. A table that. Of, of known people that you trust to, to sit down at the table and do that, but sitting down at a con game with complete strangers and being, okay, we're playing Mal and, 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 and all those people... Like, uh, I, I mean, who knows what you're going to get? Right? Yeah, it's, like, it's crapshoot. I, I still might sit down and play that game because I want to see what the deal is. Yeah. But, and, and I know it's only a four hour investment of my life, mm -hmm. but I see your point, right? Like yeah. there's a lot of chance for disappointment to compare to the, the fulfillment of what's, what could potentially be good. Yeah. Plus to be honest, whenever I buy a role playing game that is set in an established universe as both a player and GM, I'm less interested in the stats or seeing the more stories about the established heroes and creating my own stories in that world. For example, Rings of Power. I'm much more interested in the story of the elf and the alchemist woman and all that than I am in the story of Gladriel. Not that the story of Gladriel isn't good, but those are all established characters. I'm really interested to see what they're doing differently with the new characters. Uh, new stories set in that world that are characters I don't see. But I get that. But that's but that's how I sure that's how I am as a fan. Yeah. Yeah. I'm exactly the opposite of you. Like I've been dying to play a superhero game with established characters. Like I want to be like Iron Man or Cap or or uh, Bruce Banner or somebody like that. It'd be fun to play those those games. But when I look at those movies and those stories and even the team books and the comics and whatnot, yeah. it is really hard to create scenarios that make sense. Yes. Yes. I mean, you have to, there is a, this is not, we are a group of adventurers going into a dungeon or going on uh, like an adventure together. This is very much more a, there could be a problem that pops up, but if you read a lot of comic books, there are action sequences, but there are some books that are 22 pages or 25 pages where it's mostly people just going around talking to each other. Yep. yep. And, yep. and very little action, like maybe a page or two of action. And that's okay because that's what you get those, those five issue story arcs uh, have to have that set up in exposition and things mm -hmm. like that. Yes. But I don't think that superhero games do that stuff very well. The only one I think that does that very well right now is probably masks because masks isn't really sure. about being a super, isn't really about the superhero battles. It's more about the, inter, the, yeah. the interaction. With characters. I, I always say that the people are like, mask isn't really a superhero game. It's a drama game. I'm like, I don't think you guys understand what superheroes are really all about, yeah. which is about interpersonal drama. There, there, there's <laughs> there's so, cool stuff that happens, right? There's soap operas with people who could blast things. That's yeah. really what they come down to. It's, yeah. it's, it's, I love this conversation, by the way. I mean, this was our discussion. This was, this was our discussion the other night, Chris, we were talking about the authors who, in Marvel in the 80s and, and late 80s, early 90s, couldn't figure out what to do with happy relationships. Yeah. That's why you never see happy relationships in... No, we need to split this couple up. Yeah. yeah one of, that's one of the yeah. most annoying things for me in Marvel Comics right now is the fact that they are like, Mary Jane and Peter Parker can't be together. Like, they did, I don't know if that's flipped yet. Have this flipped yet, Bob? Do you know? I'm, like, super behind on what the current status quo is. They made the stance that those two can't be together. It's more interesting for Peter if he's not married. <sighs> and Whatever. That's, whereas I am, while I don't read a lot of DC comics, I am fascinated by the bizarre familiar relationships between Batman, Superman, Lois, Catwoman, the Bat family, and Mom, Pa, Kent, and all the interplay back and forth between their twisted friendship and, and wonderful relationships. And the cool thing is, is that you get juxtaposition between that and the cool comic book fight stuff and yeah. action stuff. like. Yep. I love watching the Justice League go and save the world. Yes. I think it's great. I also like the thing that you just talked about too. And 
I think that's one of the strengths of, I'm going to say this, that's one of the strengths of comic book storytelling is you can do both stories at the same time. Yes. And if you're doing it well, you actually do both stories at the same time. Yeah. I will, uh, I will reference Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four run, which is really all about Reed Richards and his relationship with his son and how that parental thing goes and how the Reed Richards from the 616 is the only good father figure of all of the Reed Richards across the multiverse. (laughs) Yeah. And the only one that future Franklin Richards is like, he's the only one worth saving. Hickman did a really nice job Uh, with everything that he's been attached to. I I think it's also, that's why so many of the established other licensed properties out there going circling back work so well in comic books, whether some really well-written Star Wars comics or Star Trek comics or Hellraiser comics or whatever, because they can use the comic medium to explore people, relationships, and deeper philosophical ideas, and then have cool action sequences or, you know, hooks on chains flying out of nowhere and (laughs) tell your story. So to bring this back towards the tabletop role-playing game stuff, I want to talk about superhero role-playing games for a second. Is there a superhero role-playing game that can do both of those things in in any kind of effective way? I'm not sure that there is from what I've read. I haven't explored Centrals of the Multiverse very well, but I think that's got part of it. I would also say that Base Rip Marvel, because of the way karma works in that game, where you get most of your experience points, not by fighting villains, but by all the stuff you do outside of fighting villains, by establishing relationships, keeping strong bonds, keeping obligations, having a job, all of that. It wasn't written super well back then, Uh but looking at it today with 40 plus years of GMing background and, and other games telling us how to do that would probably work very well. It wouldn't take much to, to make that story work because you end up not just doing things in the game, but it's designed around the idea that your character should be, should have a life outside the, the superhero thing. And if you end up with that, which I did in my last time I ran Marvel, one of the players played a robot who only went to work and then went to the base and sat there and refused to interact with anybody else. Didn't have any friends and everything else like that. And as a result, they weren't interacting with the game all that much. And they also didn't advance the way the others, the others did. The game actually pushed you hard to do other things. If you wanted to engage in the reward cycle. And the mechanics are fairly simple because while the universal chart was designed for combat, you can use it for damn near anything. It's just, okay, what is this? What are you going to engage? What is your rank? Make your role. And, and what you do gives you good, better, or best reactions. So, so Bob, what Jerry just said right there, I think mm-hmm. is the, the core thing that is often missing from superhero role-playing games is that that flexibility yes for accomplishing a bunch of different things it's one of the reasons why i like i'm gonna say it it's one of the reasons why i like fifth edition D so much because at the core of the game you can pretty much do a bunch of stuff based on your six stats you can be better or worse at those things based on everything else surrounding those six stats mm-hmm. but that's the core of the game so this flexibility of the system where you can pretty much do anything yeah i would agree with that and i don't mean do anything as like i can go push a planet although it's a superhero game so you probably could both push a planet <laughs> but if you needed the game to the game system to help you make a role to in, engage with a person because you're having a, a, a problematic conversation with them or a, or a conflict of conver- a conflicting conversation with them, like mm-hmm. I don't think that you should go out patrolling tonight. Where's my superhero suit? What, <laughs> superhero suit. <laughs> this is this is okay. what, what does he say? This is for the uh, this is for the greater good. I am the greater good. That yeah. Ozone thing in, yeah. in the Incredibles. Okay. You know, make make an excellent psyche feat roll. You need at least a yellow result to succeed. Otherwise, you're going to lose karma for this, and you're going to stay home instead. Or you're just going to have some complications with your wife if you decide to yeah. leave. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and those are the two things. And that's, that's not actually in the game. It's, in the game, it's just written like, if your wife says stay home and you leave, you just lose karma. But it's easy enough to have like a psyche feat. Yeah, and sure. And do that. Or an intuition feat. Or the, the stats are fighting, agility, strength, endurance, reason, intuition, and psyche. 
which pretty much cover the the standard six stats from every game. That's why it's called face rip, by the way. I, yeah, I thought masks did a good job of this. Yes, as far as like the, that kind of gameplay. The beauty of masks is that it does a, an amazing job of facilitating the teen angst and the interplay between the characters. And then when you go to do your super stuff, you're not constrained by all kinds of rules about how like this works and that works. It's like you use your powers. You do things like I'm going to do X. It's like, yeah, you do it. I'll be honest. Unless we're going full narrative. I don't always find masks to be the best superhero versus supervillain system. You've never played a, um, a, like a longer campaign of masks, right? No, but I've played a lot of them where we have a, a, a superhero villain fight at some point. Sure. Yeah. The, the superhero villain fights actually work pretty well if okay. you're playing a longer game because the consequences for the superhero villain fights are those conditions that you take. Yeah. And that's why yeah. it works. Like I remember our mask game, at least the oh, first yeah. season of our mask game, it was a really good, and not, not yours, ours. Yeah. Cause, and then you played one later with Phil that was really good. I heard yeah, like we, all we the had stuff an was amazing great. game of masks. And the thing <clears> that, that but, I'm always curious about now, since having played an amazing campaign of it, is I would like to see, because it's driven as a teen interplay, teen angst game, I would like to see someone tweak that game. It would be very hard to do, in my opinion. But a, a really good designer could pull it off. I would like to see someone take that game and make an adult version. They have it. One of the supplements. I want to play that. Yeah, they, they, have, they have rules in the core <clears> book <throat> for, for playing adult characters, and I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I, I could be wrong I, on this. I don't recall this, but... But I'm pretty sure what, I'll have to, I've got all the books for I, masks. I'm I pretty am, sure one of the books... To, deals with what to do with adult characters. I think I could be wrong on this, but it wouldn't be because I, I, it, it doesn't work out of the box with the rules as written for, for teens. That does yeah. not work for adults. I, I think that one, I think like agents of Aegis or one of those has that, but I, I got, I'm going to say something though. When both of you talk about the masks games you were in, especially you, Bob, you never talk about the supervillain encounters. It's always about the angst and the relationships and all that, which is good. But I never hear anybody ever talk about how cool this action sequence yeah, was or anything like that. I was going to talk about, I was going to actually going to talk about that before. Yeah. So the, there was a great, I don't know if you remember, there's a great sequence where there was a giant villain, robot villain type person, mm -hmm. and it was rampaging through the streets and it was about to crush Phil's uh, character's girlfriend's house. And Phil was the Nova or the, um, one of the ones that, that was like super strong and super fast. Yeah. So there was the moment where he had to like get in front of it and stop it from rolling down into his girlfriend's house as if it's sliding at the house. That's cool. It was a really cool sequence, right? That's cool. Yeah. We did actually have lots of good superhero action. Because I like superhero action. I do too. So I pushed it. Yeah. Right? Like I wanted that to be a part of the game. Yeah. Phil's campaign that I played in had less than Chris's game. It was still there. And we still had some really amazing scenes. This is, this does not surprise me. But the character interplay really was where it shined. I think the character interplay is where is where that <clears throat> shines all the way. And it's, I'm not faulting masks. I'm just saying. No, no, I get where like, you were coming you, from. You guys, you guys bring up that campaign a lot, which is excellent. But this is the first time I've heard either of you ever talk about a single action sequence in masks, and all the times we've talked about it. Because I don't talk about my mask game all that much. Yeah. I think I would run it better now than I did then. Yeah. I think it's the best Young Justice simulator that exists. Definitely. Oh, and, and, and by uh, the way, I, I am in no way, shape, or form saying that Mask is a bad game. I, I no. think it's a really good game, and it's, and it's got some good chops that are great things in there. I'm just not sure that it that it's... I, I'd have to play it again to try it with something that, that over a couple sessions to see what happens with it. It's weird, because in a lot of ways, the superhero action stuff feels more like... If you played Swords Without Master, it feels like the rogues phase. Does, yes. that, does that make sense, Bob? Like, you're going to yes. probably succeed at whatever you're doing. Just how much do you get beat up doing it? Yes. We, we, should, we should do Swords Without Master as a, 
as a uh, we did it once. We need to do it again so it's yeah. actually good because yeah. it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was before me. I wasn't yeah. on for that one. Oh, <clears throat> that was my point. Was yeah. I think Mask is a great young Justice simulator, yeah. and I would love to see right. that our ages thing so that it could be upgraded. Yeah, if they have and if they have an adult version, I would very much interested in seeing it. So then it could be really young Justice because those kids age up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, eventually yeah. they get caught up in intrigue and things like that, and that's a really good story. But that's like. Exceptional comic book storytelling. Yeah, yeah. And if we're and if we're wrong on this, please correct us in the Misdirected Mark forums. I would so, not yeah. the forums or, or the Slack room or just Slack better go to email Twitter. or Twitter. Twitter's fine. Twitter yeah. us. I would like to to loop us back please around do. to one of the first questions yes. that we never actually addressed was the players with more or less knowledge of the licensed world. Those are two different problems. Yes, they are. They're two different problems. If you've got someone who is like the Uber Star Wars nerd. And they sit down to play your Star Wars game. One of two things, in my opinion, is going to happen. They're either very cool about it and they're not going to like load it over you or everything. They'll like help other people at the table to help them understand like what is that? What's a swoop gang? Like, I don't know. Like what they will work with the table or you've got the one that's like the the quintessential negative stereotype rules lawyer. Like, that's not how it works in Star Wars. You know, again, if if you're going to sit down and play that game and you have that player you got to have that conversation so you figure out what's going on because if you're going to have an antagonistic player the whole time you maybe don't want to do that yeah that's true that that would never run star trek for phil phil is never going to just beat you over the head with something though phil will be very unhappy though unless it works the way that star trek's supposed to work yeah he's even said that on multiple occasions that is true so what you do is is first of all you need to know your players yes if you're running a one shot at like a convention that's when 100 percent go alternate history and just tell them flat out that that's what we're going to do. Yeah, there's um, a level of setting knowledge that I think is still required, so it still feels like a Star Wars game. Yeah. But then what you do is, if you're running a long campaign, and you've got the player who has all that knowledge, and they're not just an asshole, what you do is you lean into that really yep. heavily. Mm-hmm. And then you guys hear about Hoth. You know, Chris, you know what I mean? Oh, come on, we could do better than that. You hear about Nell Hutta. Why don't you tell me yes. about Nell Hutta? Yeah, tell me about Nell Hutta. Exactly. And then go... Everybody knows what Hoth is. Yeah, well, not everybody does, though. Almost everybody knows what Hoth is. Dude, it was cold. It was so, like Hoth cold. So the last, so the last superhero Marvel superhero game I ran, I ran a, a, a mocked up version of Day of the Octopus, which is the core game, which is the original adventure. How does this have to do with what people know, if people know Hoth or not? I'm getting that. Okay. So at one point, Scorpion, Fixer, Beetle, Dr. Octopus, and... Uh, you uh, Sinister Sticks. Yeah. Yeah. Re, re, no, they're, they're, they're part of the game. Sure. I had one player who had any idea who any of those characters were. Yeah. I mean, I... I wouldn't have, I mean, it takes a lot to know who the fixer is in Marvel. The fixer, yes, but the scorpion or the, or... Dr. Octopus Octopus. is the the famous one. Yeah. Uh, And I've done the same thing with Star Wars, where we've had one or two players who are really into it, and and, and other ones are like, the Wookiees are the big hairy ones, I think. Sure, right. So, which is also okay, depending on your game world. Um, But you need to have some, the different games require different knowledge. A game like Serenity, you need to have a lot of kind of core knowledge of the politics of that game, the setting, the system, where a game like Star Wars or D&D set in the Forgotten Realms could pretty much just have like a paragraph of description for them and let them go, and that's all they really need to know. If you're playing a campaign of Serenity or, or Firefly, then yes. If you're playing a one-shot of Serenity, you can just give them the, the basic highlights on a, on, a, on a one sheet. That's what one sheets are for. Yeah, that's true. Here's all the information that you need for this particular game. Yep. That's, that's how I would solve that. And you need to also let the players know if this is different than a standard RPG, because if players have been playing Forgotten Realms or Greyhawk and you suddenly stick them into Middle Earth, 
it's going to be a very different experience for them in most cases than what they are used to because of the setting and the way things go. You just need to explain that to them. Like, this is not a game where you're going to be crawling through dungeons, killing monsters, taking treasure. Adventures in Middle-Earth, at least, is similar to 5th edition D&D. So it's not as hard of a, a move. But the One Ring is a much larger yes. move role-playing game rules-wise. So those are two different lists for the Game Master, right? Yep. And yeah, I should have clarified. When I said adventuring in Middle-Earth, I didn't actually mean adventures in Middle-Earth. I said if you're going to be adventure, I should have specified that. That's my fault. Yeah, there are some <laughs> rules, though, that help facilitate that yes, kind they do. of stuff. Like, there are travel rules, which are a new system for people that aren't used to it to, yeah. to use. Yeah. So you'll have to introduce that set of rules to the players so they can understand how this is works and how is, it is different from mm-hmm. the game that you're, that you're accustomed to. And you also have to sit and talk to your players about how much variance from, a stick, from established canon they're comfortable with. That's true. I mean, um, it's you know, a campaign more important than, than a one-shot. Right. Even, even a short campaign of like four to six sessions, you still need to have that discussion to figure out like, look, this is, this is the story that we're telling is kind of compressed yeah. because that's what six sessions are. It's, I mean, it's still long, but it's compressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is what we're doing. Like, is, we're going to clear out a part of Mirkwood and discover a, a plot that's going on within there. Or, you know, we're going to tell a story about um, a hidden enclave of Jedi that are hiding out during the Jedi purge, you know, and that's what we're going to tell a story about or, or whatever you're going to do. Yeah. It's, that's actually um, a, a pretty good setup yeah. right? for a, for a, a story arc for a, for a campaign. And this can actually be easier. I mean, the one advantage I had running that Marvel game was that I had one player who had any knowledge of Marvel comics prior to the movies and he didn't care one way or the other, whatever we did with it, he was good with. And so I started out with a long description of like, this is all the stuff that hasn't happened, you know, since the eighties and like, we don't care. I'm like, okay, great. We have no idea what civil war or what secret invasion or any of that is like, great. I don't have to worry about any of that. Yeah. That was actually freeing for me because I could just tell a story about these players running around having a good time. I, th- I think the important thing about this is, is depending on what kind of game that you're running for these yep. people in the cellar mm-hmm. setting, you just give them this one sheet, which is, has all the relevant information that they need. Yep. Like, I think that is, I don't know, Bob, do you think I'm right on this one? Like that is a great way to get people. Up I, to speed. I think you're, I think you hit it right on the head. Yeah. Like, and then ask the question, like, would you have any questions about this? Yeah. yeah. I'll answer them. Mm-hmm. Seem all right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So that's the the setting thing. Like, how do you do people that do know or don't know the setting? Because it actually solves both problems, right? Like, yeah. people who know the setting, people who don't know the setting, it gives them both an idea of where you're coming from. And then yeah. they can clarify. And when we get to characters, it's the same kind of thing. You've got to establish where the characters are in the storyline, because Luke in A New Hope is very different than Luke in The Last Jedi. Yes. Um, yes. And so, oh, yeah. Even Luke from Return of the Jedi and, and The Last Jedi, very different than Luke from some of the Legends stuff, you know? And That's so, true. So you have to establish, like, this is where we are and talk to players about yeah, it. Yeah, one quick. sheet. One sheet again. Yep. Mm-hmm. But with the characters themselves, establish, like, where are we in the storyline? What power level are we talking about? All of it can go on the one sheet. Yep. <laughs> Strangely enough, that one sheet's a really useful tool. It is. If you yeah. don't know what a one sheet is, it's basically all the stuff that you want to give to a player that they can read on one page that can catch them up, that is preferably bullet-pointed, Mm-hmm. and easy to digest quickly. Yeah. That's a one sheet. We should probably do an, either an off-the-cuff or an episode about putting together a good one sheet. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we did one like 300 episodes ago, so it's about time to do yeah. another one. Uh, do we have anything else we want to say about license? Yeah, there you go. Licensed worlds, licensed settings. Communication is all what, is really yeah, what we're talking about here. Decide what you want to do as the GM. If you're going to be GMing it, decide what you want to do as the GM, and then talk to your players about this before you set the campaign in motion. Mm-hmm. And then sit down and have a session zero to talk about it again. Session zero can supersede the one sheet, by the way. Yeah. I mean, you have both together. I think you should use both together because mm-hmm. some people remember things better 
when they look at them over and over oh, yeah. again. If you go over the, the, the core elements in session zero and then summarize it on the one sheet and give it to them so that they can use it as a reference later. I mean, for the I, people that don't recall quickly. I mean, I referred to the, the one sheet for Ox every single game, just to remember the names of all the, the, the species and everything like that. I just <laughs> have it up there. It's easy enough to remember or when I'm trying to remember which, which group we're pissing off this week. <laughs> I find that licensed settings are much harder to run games in for me than yes. stuff that I create myself. Like uh -huh. even like the Forgotten Realms and games like games like that and established settings for particular role-playing game companies mm -hmm. because they all have a particular tone, flavor, and feel. And you have to be conscious, I think, to do, I think to get the, what you want out of those kind of games, which you know, maybe this is just me because I like stories that feel like the stories mm -hmm. that they're trying to portray, that you have to work to get those particular tones and, and themes and feelings out of, out of those settings, especially if they're specific. Like Star Wars is mostly about good versus evil. Dark versus light. Yeah. That is, there, there are various flavors of that, right? But that is, it's space opera. Like yeah, space is. opera is a very specific thing. And that goes, that goes back to the, to the age old story of trying to get something out of a game that it's not designed for, right? If you sit down and you say, let's play Forgotten Lands or for, Forbidden Lands, you throw Forbidden Lands on the table and then you go, we're going to play a high fantasy, high magic game. That ain't going to work. Um, no, you could try and do it and somebody probably could be successful at it with the table that they've got, mm -hmm. but you're working hard. You're swimming upstream. <laughs> you're ice skating up freaking hill. If you want to play high magic, high fantasy, there are tons of other games out there that will give it to you. Yep. So yeah, you just got to be cognizant of what the game and the license setting, if you're playing Eberron, yeah. all right, Eberron yeah. is kind of a high magic pulpy oh very much if so. you want to play a gritty street level streets of avalon like game you could play it in eberron but why yeah i don't see why i mean you can play the neo-noir detective thing in eberron but you'd have to turn some dials to get the gritty part right yeah yeah they've done it with the inquisitives and in, in now the i want to play line. a neo-noir detective game chris well I'll, t I'll tell you read read the inquisitives books <laughs> yeah man Dude, I, I've run the uh, the Inquisitors of Sharn before, like a campaign called the Inquisitors of Sharn. I have ideas for stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's possible. You also have to know your players. Yeah, like, you do. Always. I, I would be very careful which group I would run a game like Band of Blades for. You know? Yeah. Because if you've got a super optimistic, happy-go-lucky... It ain't that. My Little Pony Friendship is Magic is their kind of tone, which is nothing wrong with that. It's a fun game, yeah, too. that group's not playing Cartel. That's a, that's a, that's no, a, they're not playing Cartel. <laughs> they'd actually do better with Cartel than they would with Band of Blades. <laughs> Dude, me and me and Bob aren't playing cartel, but we're playing Band of Blades. Yeah, yeah. Band of Blades. Band of yeah. Blades was was a a particular flavor of of grim, but it's not bad people. Like cartel is essentially all bad people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a difference between narco fiction and being the Black Company. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the difference between those two games. If you don't know, those are narco. You you, you should all know what narco. I, I assume everybody who's listening to this knows what narco fiction is. If they don't, go look it up. It's about basically Mexican drug trades, yeah. trade South, trafficking, South American drug South American cartels. American yeah. drug tra cartels. Yeah. And the, the, the Black Company is a series of books written by Glenn Cook about a, a fabled mercenary company and the annals of their stories yeah. and the stuff that they get caught up in, which... Band and there's some Blades. legendary shit in those books. There I mean, is. You know. Yeah. And the other thing is that Band of Blades isn't necessarily about bad guys. You're actually playing a bunch of... No, you're the good guys. You're the good... You're definitely the good guys striving sure. against everything that's bad. Yeah. Just, it's... It's a depressing slog where yeah, people are going to die on a regular basis. It can be a depressing slog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's part of the fun. It's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
right. there anything else we want to say about licensed worlds? Wrap it up. Go have fun with them. Yeah, exactly. Have yeah, fun with if you, if you, if you, if that's what you want to do, you know, have the conversation and mm-hmm. and sit down and have fun with it. Just do a little bit of that work up front. Yep. It'll make your game so much better yes, later. Absolutely, yes, it will.